Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today, Ryan Treasure, and we're coming at you live from our frigid studio right here in Phoenix, Arizona. I know you guys are laughing because I said frigid and Phoenix in the same sentence, uh, but when it gets to be about 42 degrees and you know your dew point is 68 degrees or something like that, it gets to be nice and cold and dry here. So we're enjoying that here in the desert, uh, getting ready for uh, the last bit of our cool weather that we'll have until the end of January. It starts to warm up up again. But uh, our, our topic today, we're going to talk about money, money management. We're going to talk about real estate. Uh, all, all of those all of those pieces are super important. Uh, last week, we talked to Tom Wheelwright uh, about some tax strategies that you can leverage and also talked a little bit about the uh, the way the space in the CPA uh, industry is changing and professional services moving from punch and time cards to value-based pricing and uh, a lot of those fun things. And of course, all of the artificial intelligence and, and, and technology that's uh, happening with that space. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one. But today we're going to talk to author Ken McElroy, who's the CEO of MC Companies. He's a real estate investor, entrepreneur, speaker, and rich dad advisor to Robert Kiyosaki for real estate and the best-selling author of five books. So I want to welcome Ken to the show. Ken, welcome. Hey, well, hey, thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to be on. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. I know that uh, anybody who works in real estate, uh, especially right now in Phoenix, Arizona, you guys are busy. We are. <laughs> <laughs> we are, I know, and when we cover uh, Texas, the West Coast, so our, our company is uh, nationwide. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, uh, finding your frequency is is all about, you know, the journey, the the how, the why. And so I want to kind of start off the interview with uh, just asking a question about how you found your frequency in life and in business and ended up where you are. What What is Ken's story? Completely lucky. I got <laughs> you know, to tell you. Um, you know, it's interesting. I started off right out of college, right out of university. Uh, my buddy came up to me and he said, hey, would you, would you manage this apartment building? And I said... What does it pay? And do I get free rent? And he said, yes. I go, I'm in. So so I moved in. And literally, I was making $500 a month. And, um, you know, I had a one-bedroom apartment. And I was, how hard could it be? Oh, my gosh. I learned the lesson. Uh, so I was there. I got my real estate license when I was there. How many how many tenants were in that first there was, apartment? It was 60 units. 60? Down, downtown Seattle. And I got to tell you, they weren't the right 60. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So it was tough. Um, but, you know, um, I I grew up, my dad was a contractor, so I knew how to fix stuff. And certainly, you know, I understood that you got to collect rent. If people, you know, aren't paying, then you, you know, got to figure that out. So I, I liked the business. But uh, what happened was, uh, I'll never forget, the guy drove up that owned the building in his brand new Mercedes. <laughs> and and he sat down. And he said, hey, thank you for, you know, filling up the building and cleaning it up and, and uh, increasing the cash flow. And he said, I really appreciate it. And, and I started this great relationship with him. But really, it was that very first meeting. I said, I am on the wrong side of this desk. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you saw the Mercedes, yeah, right? <laughs> I, did. I did. I did. I was super impressionable, as yeah. you can imagine. So uh, I, and that was it for me. I, I said, okay, I want to learn, you know, how, how does a guy like that buy a building like this? And so that was my journey. And uh, um, I started with one and then two and then three. And next thing you know, Ryan, we we have uh, 10,000 apartments, you know, all over the Western U.S. And and uh, it's been great. I have a property management company, a, a construction company, and then I connected with Robert and Kim Kiyosaki, um, you know, because what happens is you quickly run out of money when you're, when you're buying real estate, especially big apartment projects, yep, I guess. Yep. So I was like, because they're all, you know, 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, 50 million dollar deals. So you have to syndicate and you have to raise capital. And so one of those folks was Robert and Kim Kiyosaki. And so my buddy said, hey, they're in Phoenix. I go, I don't even know who they are. You know, and he's like, oh, they wrote this book, Rich, Rich Chad Poor Dad. I go, I don't even know what that is. You know, that was the <laughs> truth. But I went and bought it. I read it before our meeting. 
and I was actually very impressed with that book, and I sat down with them, and they ended up being lifelong friends. That was 20 years ago, and uh, we've been all over the world, traveled around, and Robert said, you know, why don't you write about what you do? And honestly, I never thought I would, and, and I did. I ended up writing that first book, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing, which is a New York Times bestseller, and uh, you know, continued to, it continues to sell a lot. And then I wrote uh, four other titles, including The Return to Orchard Canyon, which is the new one. It's your new one. That's yeah. awesome. So, oh, what a great story. I mean, you know, being a college kid and getting that opportunity to just kind of get a taste of uh, you know a new industry as you're kind of trying to figure out what you want to do for your your purpose and passion in life. Uh, being able to grab a hold of that early in life that was probably pretty advantageous. Lucky. I gotta. <laughs> no, I mean that. Like, I have so many friends that are still trying to figure out what they want to be you know I think one of the advantages honestly was I wasn't a great student <laughs> I wasn't pegged you know what I mean I wasn't like I wasn't going to be an engineer or a CPA or a doctor or anything I just didn't have the grades and so I but I the was classes just weren't interesting yeah enough. they weren't they weren't they weren't <laughs> I was uh, lucky for me but uh you know what I really liked I loved the freedom around real estate I loved I, what I quickly understood is if you take something that's not running well and you turn it around and it's running well, it's worth more. And yeah. that was it. And I was like, well, I could do this, you know. And so I managed property for the first 10 years of my life for someone else, for okay. a company uh, based out of Seattle. And I managed a little over 20,000 apartments up and down uh, from Seattle all the way up to Canada, all the way down into Oregon. That's a lot of maintenance requests. Oh, my gosh. It was a lot. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot, a, lot, a, lot of stuff, a lot of stories, too. A lot of good ones. I bet. But. And then I was like, well, I should be able to buy these soon, you know? Uh, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how. I didn't know how to raise the money. I didn't know how to get the money. My parents didn't even graduate from high school. So I didn't grow up around any of this. So I had to figure it all out. So I'm sure that when you try to figure that out, uh, you know, there's a lot of finance opportunities in, in real estate. Um, I'm good friends with a, a guy named Leonard Rosen. He runs the Pitbull Conference, and it's all about hard money uh, for real estate investing and lending and all that kind of stuff. Um, did you ever go down that avenue of, of acquiring hard monies for some of your some of your acquisitions? I never had to. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> so, so here's what I didn't realize I had. I had a competitive advantage being a, as a property manager. So what happened was, as a property manager, which is a horrible thing, by the way, because here's what happens. <laughs> I was in the fee management business. So somebody would bring me a property and they'd say, hey, you know, will you manage this? So there were three scenarios. Number one, if you didn't manage it better than the, it was before the prior person, they fired you, obviously. The, yeah. If it stayed the same, they fired you. And if you increased it, you know, and you, and you made the property perform, they would sell it and you get fired. So that's the life of a property manager. And so- Yeah, the first two are like the landscaping company at the HOA, right? It's like if they do the same job, they get fired, or if they do a worse job, they get fired. We always have new- That's new, right. New, new uh, landscapers. That's right. <laughs> property management is very, very difficult. But what I learned was I always, we always had to be on the cutting edge of things. And, and uh, you know, obviously property management is very- very systems based. So as long as you stick to a system and also are constantly learning on how to save the property's money and grow the income and all those kinds of things, then you're going to be fine. And so I was I dove into personal development, all that kind of stuff around that business. And so what I found when I finally got to the point to where I had um, was going to buy something, I saw it. I mean, I literally saw the end. So I, I knew what I was going to take on and I knew what I could turn it into. And so that's what I started doing on a small level, but I never had to use the, the uh, small hard money guys at all because I just said, hey, I'm gonna buy it for this and here's what I'm gonna exit at. And I usually tried to um, under promise and right, yeah. over deliver. And that was my thing. And um, your you accountant know, likes to see that too. I, I always <laughs> did. I always, I always hedged yeah. you know, what I thought it could be. And uh, and that was it. I, I just I really um, I could I could see it. I could see, you know, if a if a property has tenants that aren't paying or high expenses or you know rents that are low in a market or occupancy that's low in a market, um, you know that's fixable and that's all property management based. And so when when I was so I would see a property a hundred unit two hundred unit building. And I would buy it for ten million, and I knew in one year I could make it fifteen, and I just knew. 
Yeah, well, because you're coming in there and, and, you know, making sure that the landscaping looks good and that people are attracted. You're doing some marketing to get some new tenants in there, uh, you know, maybe some improvements on some areas, which generates cash flow, right? And then that's what makes that property more valuable. And then is that the point where you're going, all right, uh, we've done all the things that's systematized and it's turnkey, it's working well. Um, how do you find buyers for, for those other properties once you get them to a level where you're ready to, to sell them? Here's the beautiful thing. So this is why I loved meeting Robert and Kim Kiyosaki, because, you know, they're they're cash flow people, right? So we have this thing. That's why Robert wanted me to go on the road with him so often. So I was a cash flow guy. I wanted, I didn't want to keep doing this. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, because yeah. once you sell something nice and you've turned it all around, you got to go do it again. And so <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. So is there a way to do this and just get some rents and some reoccurring revenue going? You know, and I found that there is. And so so I was a cash flow guy. And so to answer your question, we typically don't sell. Okay. So what we do, though, is we'll use a loan to buy something. We'll improve it. So like in the $10 million property, increase the value to 15 by, um, by uh, you know, managing the expenses and getting the rents up. And then going back to the bank and getting a $10 million loan. Because now I still got five million in equity because yeah. I've, I've grown it to fifteen, and now all of a sudden I've paid everyone back that gave me when I bought it at ten. So that's it, and so that's called a cash out refi. Mm-hmm. People do it on their houses all the time. That's tax free. So I was like, this is interesting. No wonder <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't pay. Any taxes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> hey, by the way, that is the truth. I've met him many times. I will tell you that is it. Yeah. It's literally you use investor money to buy the building, you increase the value, you put new debt on it, and it which only supports itself if you've able, been able to grow the the, yeah. the revenue, and you give all that money back to all the original investors, and they stay in the deal, and you stay in the deal, and then it cash flows in perpetuity. Yeah, and that's kind of similar to like the way technology company works too, is they they build up a piece of technology, uh, and then they hedge against that that product that they've created, uh, and then all the money that goes back into the company to make more products, and so thus you end up with a non-taxable component because basically you're taking everything that you would have made and putting it back into the business, which makes it not taxable. Absolutely right. right yeah, right, it's, right. A, it's a great model. And so, you know what happens when you give investors their money back tax-free? Go do it again. Yeah. So that's what happened. A hundred times over. Yep. So yeah. that's all I did over and over and over and over. And so now here we are with a billion dollars worth of real estate. Um, you know, just a kid from Everett, Washington that, uh, you know, just got lucky. You're never looking for a place to stay, I take it. <laughs> no, we've got plenty. <laughs> In fact, the real estate, I was like, oh my gosh, that's all I need is, you know, it's not emotional for me, actually. My house, you know, my homes are, of course, there are places I want to be, but generally, it's for me, it's just math. That's awesome. So how did how did you and uh, the Kiyosakis actually meet and, and how did you guys connect? How did, how did that work? I mean, I know you, you said you read the book before you went and had the, the meeting with him, but how did you guys get connected and aware of each other in the first place? Yeah, well, so I was in, I'm involved in a group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, and okay. YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. And one of my buddies in there said, he's I go, hey, dude, I need to raise some capital for this property that I'm trying to buy down in Tucson. He said, I know the guys. And uh, so he connected me with Robert and Kim, brought me over to their, um, we met at Phoenix, Phoenix Country Club and, okay, and yeah. sat down and Robert and Kim slow played me for about a year. I got to tell you, <laughs> they were like, we want to see, you you know, uh, so they went to some of my properties and they went and looked around and, and I showed them a property that I wanted to do to buy and, and they ended up investing just a very little bit of money. Now I have uh, over a thousand investors and Robert and Kim are just one of those yep. now. Um, and, uh, but you know, Robert, the honestly, Rich Dad Poor Dad was not a massive hit like it is now. Mm-hmm. It was it was brand new and you know I got one of the first copies it just had just come out when was this like in the 90s yep yeah. it was in 99 I think okay and okay. Um, and so in fact it was in 99 and and so you know it was just a and but that was very very typical for me was to, to sit down with somebody and try to pitch them on you know this value add concept that I had you know 20 years ago on with apartments so so that's how we met and um, we ended up um, 
you know, being super successful, right? And yeah. just doing that exact model, raising the value of the property, putting new debt on, giving it back to all my investors, including Robert and Kim. And, and they're like, oh my gosh, you, know, you need to write a book on this. You need to come that with us. That was going to be my yeah. next question. Oh. Was, was Robert the one who said, hey, you should start writing some books around these oh, subjects? Because I know he, he's all about that. <laughs> oh, I know. Every time I do an interview with him, he's always like, yeah, I got this other book and we're working with this other thing. And um, they're doing a version of Rich Dad for these people. And then he's, he's all always all about you know figuring out ways to write more books and be educational which is great because um, you know the the concepts of rich dad poor dad um, especially for me I'm, I'm a father of a six-year-old daughter and you know even you know always trying to teach the kids about money and you know important life lessons and it's like really hard to just sit down and be like all right let me let's have a, a talk about money you know you're six and and but at the same time it's like how do you how do you teach children so there's a rich dad poor dad children's book that my daughter and I have been working through and you know helping her to understand you know the value of a dollar and the value of working and saving and some of those types of things so um, were those some of the uh, the reasons why you were writing the books yeah so without a doubt so I also was raising a small uh, small kids and <laughs> and uh, family at the same time and I wanted to teach them and so I yes I've got them we were we used to play cash for example, the okay. cash flow game, which is just a phenomenal game because kids like to play games. And yeah. so it's just a board game. And, you know, so that's Laurel, Laurel Langmire gave me a copy of that game at one of her conferences. Yep. It's yep. a great game. <laughs> uh, you know, it teaches them how to fill out a financial statement of all things. They don't even know they're doing it, you know, yeah. but the difference of, you know, a doodad and, you know, and, you know, cash flowing stuff and, and, and you know, things that cost money that don't have any return. And, and so they're just very, very basic. And I'll tell you a funny story. And then they, of course, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, both of them. But the funny thing thing is when they got into high school they my son came home to me and he's like dad like we had we're in finance and he goes I get it. Like, I get everything, and everyone in my class is lost. And by the way, for my son, that was a big deal because, right. you know, I wouldn't call him a stellar student. But in that class, because of that game, mm -hmm. he was a lot smarter than the rest of the kids. Well, it also helps to have a dad who's been, you know, working <laughs> in those spaces for so long, and you can kind of, you know, I feel like as a parent, like, it's our job to, you know, make sure that my kid or, you know, your kid knows as much as you do, right? You want to teach them everything that you know, and then they learn their own things, and hopefully that makes them better than you were, right? I mean, ultimately, that's how we all, you know, um, move through society and 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 get wealthy and, and, and get better is being better than what our parents were, right? That's what we want, but I don't know a kid yet that listens to their parents. <laughs> but I will tell you, so what I've done is I've had uh, friends of mine, like Robert. Robert's have been a very impactful on my two boys. He asks about them all the time. They've, they've known, he's known them since they were very, very small. And so, you know, being around guys like that, they listen to, um, you know, your circle, whatever your circle is. You know, Jim Rohn says, right? <laughs> you are your five people you're closest to. That's who you are. So, yeah, it's not, uh, it's like the boat analogy, right? It's, uh, it's not the, it's, it's not the water that's the problem. It's the people that are in your boat, <laughs> yeah. right? Because if somebody puts a hole in your boat, then you sink. So it's really not the water that you're worried about. It's the, it's the company that you keep. Exactly. Right? Right. So keeping yeah. that circle small and being able to, you know, lean on your friends and family, I think are, are some of the most important values for, for any, any family. That's exactly right. So guys like the Rich Dad Advisors, you know, guys like Tom Wheelwright and Garrett Sutton and Andy Tanner and Robert, of course, yep. and, you know, Blair Singer, they, you know, they've been around those guys and, and so they, time. a long time. And so, so that has been the most impactful. Well, so let's talk about your, your, your book that you have. It's a uh, return to Orchard Canyon, uh, which is your newest book that you've written, right? Yes. Yes. So, so tell us about return to Orchard Canyon. What was your, uh, you know, what was your, your process for writing the book? What was your, your, your passion for writing this book? Okay. So, so I have the, I'm the publisher for all the rich advisor books. Okay. So RDA press, um, you know, what happened was years ago when the, when the publishers started all going out of business, I'm talking about Time Warner and some big numbers, yeah, yeah. you know, um, my first book was published with Time Warner. And so I got a little 
toe in the water on how that worked. You know, I was in New York and, and, and trying to understand distribution, all the things, and, and the margins are tight. Super as, tight. Super tight. And so I watched them go down one after another, you know, but all, at the same time, I was asking a ton of questions like, you know, <laughs> what is it, how does, you know, how, how does a book have, um, you know, staying power from year to year to year? And why do some books come out for a couple months and crash and other ones, you know, have been around 10 years like Rich had poured at? Still, yeah, the same thing with like men versus uh, men are from Mars, women are from yep, Venus. John like, Gray. Yeah, yep. that John Gray book has been out for so long. And exactly right. You know, it's, it's still relevant today. You got yeah. that. Yeah. And I met with John and actually asked him that question. And, and um, I, I tell you what, what I learned about books is that people learn from stories. And so this is a, it's a business novel. And so what I did is I took some principles from The Alchemist and Rich Dad Poor Dad and What Colors Your Parachute and Who Moved My Cheese. <laughs> and I stuck them all in here in a story setting with three characters. And, and it's a great, great book. It talks about inflation. It talks about is college worth it? It talks about money. It talks about, you know, health. It talks about all these things, I think, that um, are just philosophies. Yeah, and I think that when you introduce those types of philosophies with, you know, money management and values and those things in a in a fun to read kind of story setting, it really helps uh, adults to be able to digest that information. But um, it also probably makes a good read for young adults, too. I mean, if you're a teenager, you know, starting high school and, you know, kind of figuring out your, your way, being able to learn some of those values through story are, um, you know, probably some of the better ways to learn. I know that a lot of uh, early childhood uh, doctors have always said that that's the way that, you know, kids kids learn the best is through play, through story, through those types of things. So I, I, I wouldn't think that it would differ for the us older folk. It doesn't. And, <laughs> you know, which is interesting. So there are three main characters in in the book there's a grandfather that's 83 his son that's 50 and his daughter that's 17 so the 83 year old grandfather which is named after my father never went to college and was an entrepreneur and scrapped it out and has had a pretty damn good living yeah and you know he's had multiple streams of income at this property at Orchard Canyon, which is a real resort in Sedona. And so he, as my dad did, sent their kids to college because he, you know, hey, you're going to get a good job and you're going to get educated, all these kinds of things. And that's what that generation did because a lot of them didn't go to college, as you know. Well, what's happening right now is, you know, this is my age group. So a lot of these guys, the friends of mine that have got um, stuck in these jobs, these corporate jobs, they're not happy. The, they're not even keeping up with inflation, the cost of living, all that stuff. And so this guy gets laid off from his banking job, one of the latest mergers, and they're driving up to Sedona. And the setting is on Sundays, they're sitting down for Sunday dinner. And his daughter is about ready to go to college. She's a senior. She does a project on the Great Depression, which is a great segue to be able to yeah. talk about all that stuff. And so, so anyway, so in this story, the grandfather's saying, you know, I'm not so sure that college was the right thing for you because here you are out of a job. And he's, he's arguing with his dad and the daughter's there. And she's like, well, what's the right thing? And so, you know, I'm not trying to bash education because I'm a massive uh, uh, a believer in, in education is is the way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you too, and I don't mean to interject right there, but I think it's an important uh, important thing to talk about. Um, you know, you have in this country today, everybody gets pushed for you're going to go to high school, and then you're going to go to a four year college, and then you're going to go get a job after that. And when you look at um, certain sectors like uh, you know plumbers, um, you know welders. Uh, people who do construction trades, all of those types of uh, those businesses, those type of uh, programs are so lacking in uh, people to fill those jobs. It's it's difficult because you have people that are moving towards, oh, I'm going to go do computer science. I'm going to go do this. But, you know, uh, we still need people to, you know, take care of our cars and make sure that, you know, all the other intricate components of houses and buildings and all those things are maintained. And, you know, so I think there's such a big push towards four-year colleges that mm -hmm. the trades have really suffered. Um, and I was reading a study about this uh, from Arizona and there's, you know, so many open construction jobs like I could quit my job today and go walk onto any construction site and go get a job today you know and I think that 
you know, when you think about those things and you talk about education, education doesn't necessarily have to come from uh, from the university, right? I mean, going and learning a trade and learning how uh, things mechanical work and being able to work on those things versus, you know, uh, being able to code software for a computer. I think all of those skills are essential. And so, you know, let, let's just touch on that for a second. You're 100% right. So we have a construction company and, and it's interesting. I just did a blog on this with our head of construction and his biggest issue is labor. Yeah. You know, he's like, hey, we're building properties. We just uh, we just closed on a 300-unit uh, site where we're going to build another 300-unit property, about a $50 million deal. And his biggest issue is labor. He'll have yeah. 200 to 400 guys on that job site, and it's tough. And so so my dad was in the Seabees, the construction battalion. Navy. In the Navy. I was an, I'm a Navy man. Yep. So right. he was in the Seabees. <laughs> yeah. And so he came... We never had a contractor at our house. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I'm never. I'm just telling you, ever. So I grew up that way. You know, I grew up learning how to fix everything, and yeah. I, I never even saw anybody come to the house to fix anything. <laughs> and so that was why I think it was a natural for me for property management. There's a massive, massive need for exactly what you just said. And, and my dad believed, hey, you need to go to college if you're going to get better off. Yeah. You know, you need to, just like you said earlier, he, he wants oh, to do better the, than that, us. That, well, but that's the push. Like our society thinks that that's the norm. Like you go from high school to you go to college and some of those trade things get, get you know, left out of the way. But I mean, think of this opportunity. Like we live in Phoenix, Arizona. It's like hotter than hell, literally in the summertime here. How much money do you think an entrepreneur in air conditioning can make here in Arizona. Massive, I mean, massive. Yes, there's already a lot of companies, but how many really good customers does one actually need as an entrepreneur to be able to sustain something like that? 50? I know. You know Not what many. I mean? Not many. <laughs> no, right. You just need to be good at it and and do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And, right? I, and show up on time. Yep. Don't be like the cable the cable company and say, yeah, we'll be there between yeah. 8 and 2 p.m. <laughs> right. I know. That's, that's super specific. So, yes, I agree with you 1,000%. And so that's what the story is. This is a story about about a, a, a grandfather that's kind of reversing his position over these Sunday dinners, and he's not saying college is bad. What he's saying is it might not have been the right way for his son and his other two kids. And so there's a, a very spirited debate and discussion over things like that. And, and yeah. so and so he's pulling in all this knowledge about inflation and currency because he went through the, you know, when silver was silver and then it got changed, you know, uh, you know, with money one money was really money and the dollar was tied to the gold standard yeah, and all my, that. My nickel dime. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So he went through all that, you know? And so so he's like trying to explain this to his to his granddaughter when, when the son is trying to get her to go to college, which she eventually ends up going to. But the point was is that, you know, he's he's got this fixed mindset about that's the only way, even though himself he's financially in despair. Yeah. Well, and I think just the premise of the book really opens up a conversation too for you know you to have conversations uh, about money with your family because I think a lot of times families avoid you know having those conversations and you know, I'm not not a lot of people are like hey you know mom dad kids let's all sit down at the kitchen table and and you know let's talk about money you know it's just something that that usually is you know maybe mom and dad both work and mom pays all the bills and takes care of the house and you know those things. And that's kind of just the way that it is. And, you know, if you have a book where you're able to read and, you know, you, you get to see a family talking about those things, maybe that makes it easier for a family to have those types of conversations, especially now during the holidays. I mean, it, all the kids are always like, I want, 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 right? If Santa Claus is going to bring me this mom, dad, I want this grandma, I want this. But, you know, a lot of them don't have an, you know, an idea of, you know, do you know how hard mom or dad or whatever has to work in order to bring these to the table and understanding the value of those things is important. And you know, talking about it for with your family is important. How, what what kind of what kind of tips would you give in that space to you know open up that dialogue? Yeah, well, I, great segue. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, I would want to you know you want everything, and my mom her you know standard go to was we can't afford that, we can't afford that, we can't afford that, and I think that once you know, and it was true that was what her mindset was, and they had grown up very poor and um you know 
but she wasn't willing to open it and you yeah. know insert anything new. And so, so when I, I just tell my daughter we don't need that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a lot different. Um, so, so what I say is, you know, how can I afford that? You know, and so that's what I did with my kids. And you know, my kids were no different than any other kids. They wanted new phone, new this, new that, new clothes, new this. You know, so what I did was I taught them how to make money. So they've had four businesses, and they're 18 and 21, but they started when they were about 10. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and then I just mentor them through that. We did it actually through business because it was easier. So they started off selling golf balls as, uh, you know, um, they would make about $1,000 a summer, which when they were 8 and 10 years old was a lot of money. I would take half. I would stick it in a jar, and, I, and, and we eventually got to about $1,500 after three seasons. And they said, okay, next business. You know, and so then we, they decided to do duct tape wallets. And so they found it on the <laughs> internet how to do it. We went to the store, bought all the stuff, and they had, you know what I mean? So it was still their money. Then the next one was- So did, a, did they have to use the $1,500 yes. from the other yep. business? Okay, they, awesome, yep, awesome, yep, awesome. Yep, and they, and they kept track of the receipts, and we did a little bit of math, and just like a cash flow game. And then they were selling the, the wallets for 20 bucks each, and they were making all these cool designs and stuff like that. And they would, bring, you know, they would just annihilate our whole family, right? Like a thing. <laughs> Thanksgiving, <laughs> and, you know, but they would bring them everywhere with them, you know, to Cardinal games or whatever. And um, so they did that. And then we rolled that into a, um, a business called Create Your Own Tunes, which um, we had, we, I actually had to meet with a PR company in town <laughs> that's now a very large company. And, and um, they created a website and they started putting artists together so you could do like your own song. Like, let's say you wanted to do a birthday song uh, from an artist in jazz, you know, for your wife, you'd pay 250 bucks and you pay the artist a hundred and a quarter and they make a hundred and a quarter. So, so we, you know, so just the process of walking that, that was over five, six, seven years. Yeah. Just that process. So when they got to high school, I got to tell you, Ryan, they never asked me for money. They always figured it out. So like my son was fixing iPhones in high school, which of course everyone's got a broken high, uh, phone. Yeah, I got a broken screen <laughs> yeah, right now. Where's that? So he would fix them. <laughs> you know, he was just making bank and he would take him 15 minutes to put a new screen on. And so yeah. he did that and he, he's now doing that at university. They were buying, my my son wanted a knife, of course. You know, what parent, what good well, parent gives him a knife? Yeah, but, and what boy doesn't <laughs> want one? Apparently, right? every, every yeah. boy wants a knife. Right, so, so I said, he goes, hey dad, is it okay if I order these? And I said, well, he goes, I want, one he's like all right but i already have the other three sold for you know for what i can get for the fourth so he's he bought four sold the other three paid for his own for free which is what i would call an infinite return yeah. <laughs> you know he got it for free and so you know there is a way to do stuff and, and i just taught him that way and and i think that you know, those are the kinds of great conversations. And so my son started mentoring other kids in high school. They're like, why is it that you always have what you want? You know, he bought these Beat headphones, you know, at 50 bucks and sold for 100 and a quarter. And, you know, he just was doing everything, you know, just like <laughs> cashing in on his friends. A little hustler. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but he always had cash. Yeah. He always did. You know, he never asked for any. I mean that. Like, they just don't ask me for money. No, that's pretty cool. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, you know, and my mom and dad had a very similar mentality of we can't afford that. But she would always follow it up with, you know, I don't have the money for this, but you can go figure it out, you know. And yep. she would always say, well, what can you do to make money? You know, and I remember so many, so many times I'd have my bicycle and I'd attach the lawnmower to the seat of my bicycle and stick the, the, the trimmer on there as well and ride around the neighborhood knocking on people's doors asking if I could mow their lawn for 10 bucks or wash cars or whatever it is because uh, my family didn't really have money and there were things that I wanted and even as an only child you know my growing up with a single mom my mom didn't have you know the 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 means to spoil the only child with that you know faux pas so you know I'm out there doing anything and everything I can and I think that you know not necessarily from an entrepreneurial standpoint like your boys have figured out okay then they're they're like snowballing the different pieces from one to the other but that taught me a, a work ethic that I have too mm -hmm. that that I, I don't see in a lot of the younger people nowadays. Um, how do how do you instill that that work ethic with the young folks? You you got everybody so so busy on their oh, phone, and you know they they want to know what their friends are doing and what's going on, and I think they forget about you know living in the moment. And as a parent, it's you know how do you get them to you know step away from social media for ten minutes and observe the now? Yeah, well, we ha I had to create <laughs> rules around it. So for dinner, all f cell phones in the middle of the table, period. Yeah, off. Yeah, and uh, that was it. So there are things that you know there are parameters that they that they had to follow. But I got to tell you, it's tough. I remember 
Um, you know, my kids, um, right or wrong, went to an affluent high school in Scottsdale, and um, I remember him coming home because I made him buy his first car. <laughs> um, and I remember, you know, it was a Volkswagen, which is fine. You know, that's perfectly good car. And uh, but he he came home one day and he's like, "Hey, Dad, like." I know what you're trying to do, but it's tough, you know, because these kids are br- driving Porsches and Beamers yeah, and Beamers. Mercedes. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah, and some of them are there, some of them are their parents. And uh, I remember the look on his face, you know, because that peer pressure kicks in. It was real. And uh, I felt for him, but, you know, I just stuck to my guns. I'm saying, listen, man, this is, trust me. You'll you'll appreciate this later, and and uh, now he's 22, and I got to tell you, it's true. He just got in the entrepreneur school at U of A, literally nice. just got accepted in the last two weeks. Um, so he's super pumped, and uh, you know we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I always love going down to Tucson and checking out uh, Wildcat basketball games. So that's probably fun for you too oh, to go down to Tucson. I got two kids there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's nice. the best. I'm down there all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, while we're talking about kids, uh, I, I want to talk about a, a company uh, who's sponsoring the episode today. The company is called Circle. Uh, Circle is an award-winning way to manage your family's online time across all of connected devices inside and outside your home. I'm sure that when you were raising your boys when they were younger, I wish you. I bet you wish you had this product. I have it. Oh, you have a Circle. Literally, yeah, awesome. I have. Yeah. I use it. Disney. Yes, they are. Uh, they are the sponsor of the show. Uh, I love that parents can filter out what content's allowed and set limits for screen time, uh, monitor history and usage, and even reward kids for good behavior. You know, my daughter is six, and. Uh, we have the the Amazon Fire tablets at the house, and the one Fire tablet had like run out of space, storage space. And I'm going through it, and I'm like, this is all her just taking pictures of random stuff with the with the tablet. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just factory reset it, right? Delete everything so she can start over. And I totally forgot to set up the parental controls on it. And because I didn't set up the parental controls, like I started getting alerts for my bank for like you know a dollar ninety nine from Amazon. I'm like, oh what, another one and another one. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I forgot to set up that. So my daughter was going and buying apps. for her her tablet and uh, it was the one device like all the other devices have circle on them and since I factory reset it I forgot to put the circle on there to set it up and uh, now I remember why circle is so important because it will definitely save you money when you have small children Uh, my daughter knows how to use the the fire tv like no tomorrow you know she grabs the remote she knows how to use the voice thing and she'll ask Alexa to go to this app or this game or this whatever and if you're not careful you'll end up with an, an extra bill you didn't want oh my god kids are so <laughs> smart I used to set mine at 10 p.m. yeah turn it off yeah right? and then the kids uh, honestly because they'll sneak electronics in their room you know so a circle turns all the electronics off at 10 and that was one of the parameters when you were asking before how do you control it yeah. that was one of the things we use circle a lot to manage that yeah, and I have mine set up. Uh, my daughter uses her tablet. She likes to listen to music while she sleeps. And so um, with the Circle, I was able to set it up to where the only application that works after 8 p.m. is the Amazon Music oh, app. perfect. Right? So she can go listen to music. She's very uh, she's very artistic. She loves music and dance and all that. And so that's one of those things where I kind of allow her a little carte blanche within some parameters on her listening to music because I want her to be creative in that space. And uh, it definitely allows me to, to, to do that. And uh, the circle's even getting rave reviews from Chicago Tribune, uh, People, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and many more. Because, um, you know, we'll do anything for our kids. So I'd say do something easy that'll keep your family on the right path and get circled. Would you agree? I would totally agree. So our listeners are going to get a smoking deal right now. Listeners can get a $30 off of the Circle Home Plus when you visit meetcircle.com forward slash frequency. Uh, you can enter the promo code frequency at checkout. And again, you get $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com forward slash frequency and enter the promo code frequency guys we're going to take a standard commercial break right here and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more uh to our guest ken uh, about the book uh return to orchard canyon and some more of those principles that are designed in there and of course go a little bit down the road about some uh, real estate and things that uh, we can look forward to maybe uh, in the future of real estate here in the phoenix area so stay tuned guys we'll be right back right after these messages become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
Shapeshift World was created to help business owners reach their maximum potential and achieve their dreams. We do this by focusing on the fastest path to cash through planning, product innovation, automation, and social media engagement. Businesses hire Shapeshift to change the way they communicate to their prospects, customers, and employees because their business results are lackluster and sales are not moving the needle fast enough. Using Codebreaker AI technology with our customers, we will change your company's communications and delivery approach to an organic style that cannot be unlearned and works for everyone. The bottom line, at Shapeshift World, we increase sales velocity by up to 300% systemically while reducing the time it takes to close the sale. To get your personality and company assessment a $100 value, just text code ME, C-O-D-E-M-E, to the phone number 72000 and connect with us. It's the first step in shifting the way you think to change the world. Text code ME to the phone number 72000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're tuned into Finding Your Frequency with hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. Connect with the show. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ryan Treasure, host of Finding Your Frequency. Today, we appreciate you guys joining us back from the commercial break. And make sure you go get yourself a circle. Go get that device meetcircle.com forward slash frequency and enter the promo code frequency save 30 bucks so you can make sure that five minutes doesn't turn into five hours uh, we're here with our fantastic guest in the studio Ken McElroy he's the author of a fantastic new book Return to Orchard Canyon which we have sitting here right in front of us Ken uh, appreciate you being on the show today You're, you bring great energy uh, talking about I think really meaningful things talking about families and, and real estate and money and all those things so uh, thanks again for joining us here in the studio hey my pleasure this is awesome so let's let's get back a, a little bit on the book with Return to Orchard Canyon. Um, I know that you've written several other books besides this one. Do you have uh, do you have like a favorite book that you've written, or is this one your favorite? So far, yes, it is. Here's why: um, I was able to take a bunch of concepts and put them into a story, and you know, make it about the story. I think people like stories. Rich Dad Poor Dad's a story. You know, it has obviously the truths of Robert growing up and all that. But there's all kinds of lessons in it, and so I was trying to do that. I was trying to. I was trying to. Uh, deliver something because my other books they're 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 great but they're more technical they're like how do you buy investment real estate how do you buy a rental property you know how do you manage property etc cetera, etc cetera. nothing wrong with that but this one was more of a story and so i really have enjoyed i enjoyed writing this i enjoyed uh everything about it oh that's awesome the CEO of our company wrote a book, uh, which is why the name of the radio show is called Finding Your Frequency. And he wrote a book called Finding Your Frequency, How to Broadcast Yourself and Your Message. Right. So he's been in the media space for over 25 years, ran multiple radio stations. So we kind of started doing this radio show just kind of as like a give back to our radio show host uh, and giving them, you know, um, each of the chapters, like well, there's 13 chapters in there, um, you know, seasons of television going in, in, in quarterly uh, or, or series, right, which are generally 13 or 14 episodes uh, and so he wrote the book in that manner and so uh, we had a great time in the beginning you know just kind of talking about how to monetize radio and are you going to do radio and TV and all that kind of stuff but it really morphed into this you know how do people find their frequency in life and in business because you know a lot of times people get so stuck in a rut with that 9 to 5 and you know they don't get the opportunity to step out and, and what we say you know uh, muster up the intestinal fortitude to go out and do something be bigger and, and, and be stronger and I love your story of you know kind of moving from college, working on those uh, those rental properties, and then moving to where you are today. And um, do you think, you know, when you were 15, 16 years old, did you see yourself um, as an older you then in the place you are now? Or, or are you where you thought you would be? No, gosh, no. I, I It's interesting. You know, I think that um, we, I have a saying, 
I think environment is stronger than will. So I really do. And, and we talked, we touched a little bit about this earlier. This is Buckminster Fuller used to say this. It's, you, you know, I, there, was a, there was a ceiling and a bar in my town where I grew up, you know, with everyone around me, my friends, my parents' friends. It just was there, period. You know, we, I lived, it was a very blue-collar town. Um, most of the people went to work for Weyerhaeuser, Scott Paper, or Boeing. That's mm-hmm. just the way it was. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, those companies would scoop people right out of the the high you know the high yeah, schools yeah. and and um, and so in, in you know when I, I luckily I had a wrestling scholarship I wrestled nice. um, and I had uh, that opportunity to go to university and that's what got me there and and so but I I really really was grateful when I got there. Uh, because my parents could not afford it, and um, and so uh, that's just how I saw everything. You know, I grew up like you did I, I, with paper routes and <laughs> and um, fixing things and yep. and um, mowing lots of lawns and all of that. And and um, you you do. There's a work ethic there that you learn, and um, you know, and you just see things differently. And that's the older character in this story. One of the interesting spins that I put in the story, too, is that his son, David, who's the, you know, going through midlife and and basically (laughs) doesn't have any cash and, you know, is basically broke, he's divorced. And his wife is an entrepreneur. And she started a company when she was... Uh, um, you know, had her first baby, and so so now it's a very successful company. So, you know, there's this there's this thing where the daughter goes back and forth. You know, her her, her mom is you know a big time entrepreneur, not big time, but has a, a local PR company, and and her father is uh, you know got a nice BMW and a big house, but uh, no net worth. Yeah. It's got to be tough, too, for a kid going back and forth. You kind of get some, you know, maybe mixed signals on, you know, where, where you should go. And, or, or, you know, when, when you look to your parents, they're like your guiding light. They are. You know, and, and, you know, you have one that's shining brightly and one that's in flux, you know. And so that's, that's definitely got to be a challenging for a young person to kind of manage that. Well, that's what Rich Dad Poor Dad is, yeah. you know. It's not uh, Robert's two parents, but it's his best friend's dad and his dad. Yeah. And they had just had two different philosophies on a lot of things, on, you you know, on on work and money and 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 all of those things. And you know, I've been around Robert a lot, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's very different when he would go play Monopoly. Uh, you know, his his he would go home and his dad would say, "What are you doing all day?" He's like, "Well, play Monopoly," and he's like, ah, "That's a waste of time." Whereas Rich Dad would say. You know, the the key to wealth is on this board. You know, it's just how you look at it. Right, right. Yeah, you know, you, you said you had a saying. Um, you know, one of my sayings has, has been for a really long time is you don't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the room to be the most successful person in the room, but you got to show up early and work harder than everybody else. That's right. I agree with that. I trust me. I I've always I know there's lots of people that are really smart and have lots of opinions and I want those people working for me. So. Yeah, I mean that was one of the you know key things and I don't remember which book that I read, but uh, it was a CEO and he was saying you know I'm not the smartest person in the room, but what makes me a smart person is the fact that I have the smartest people in the room, you know, and so yep. he has the best marketing and he has the best PR and you know the best uh, uh, technology officer and those and because of the team. He assembled, even though he's not the smartest person, he was a very smart person by bringing the team together, which ultimately made his company worth, you know, several billions of dollars, uh, which he sold off for, I think, uh, 20 or 30 billion dollars. And now he just is, does nothing but um, like fund folks like you guys. You know, he's uh, he kind of sits back and, you know, uh, hedges investments and is a, is a provider of capital for some of those investments. And uh, and he has a yacht in San Diego and he spends a lot of time there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, that's exactly how it works. You know, yeah. if you work hard, like you said, show up and hire really, really good people, and then you have to be a bit of a visionary, but the, your company can soar. I, I have an incredible leadership team of seven people that run my company. I'm not even actually, I don't have any direct reports, and, you know, I don't do anything in my company anymore. I'm in what they call the visionary box. That's all I do. I rain make. <laughs> 
Yeah, and well, like from your perspective too. I mean, when you're um, when you're there, kind of looking for you know your future casting, right? You're you're looking out. Okay, like you know, what's the roadmap going to be five, ten years from now, and how do we go from there now to there in five years? And so, as you're looking at that thing, as as a, even though you own the business, you're not doing the day to day operations. You're doing that visionary thing, but you still probably want to know at least once a year, like where where you guys are in the black. Oh yeah, right? no, no, you, you know, no, you're no. Looking at, you're looking at the cash flow. I'm involved every yeah. month. We get financials. But I feel a massive responsibility for everybody that works there, too. Uh, you know, it's my job to make sure that we're moving forward and we're progressive. Yeah, I think it's really important every entrepreneur and business owner understand that um, if, you're not, uh, if you're not outpacing inflation, you're failing. That's right. That's right. right. I always tell people that Robert always says, you know, savers are losers and you know, everybody gets fired up about it. But I said, OK, how much do you make in your savings account? Well, less than 1%. Okay, what's inflation? Three. Okay, next. Right. You know, right. That means you're losing 2% a year right. on your money that's in savings. And so if you could just figure out how to, how to invest it at four, you're beating inflation. If you're... You know? So, you know, you, I talk about, um, you know, guys that do radio shows about financing and uh, I won't use their name, but you'll know who exactly who I'm talking about, you know, and he says, you got to have your, your emergency fund, which is three to six months of whatever your bills are. And you have to have that away. And, you know, that's like, you know, number two on the list and of the debt snowball thing that you start with. And then when you get to a point and you say, all right, well, my bills are, you know, three, four thousand dollars a month or whatever it is. And I've, I've now saved my twenty thousand dollars, you know. What do you do with that $20,000? A, you need it to be available in case of an emergency, but B, you don't want to sit there and be a saver at that 1%. See, I disagree with that. Uh, not, not what you said, but what he said. And let me tell you why. So we have a different philosophy. We, we say, what is it that is going to take you to get to financially free? So let's say, using that same scenario, that your, your, your monthly expenses are four grand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you generate 4000 in reoccurring cash flow, period? It's not savings. It's reoccurring cash flow. And it's very doable. Mm -hmm. And so once you get to $4,000 of passive income a month, it covers your expenses. At that point, you're financially free, period. Now, that has nothing to do with savings, Right. You know, now you're literally, as long as you keep those properties or keep those investments or keep whatever you've got and it's cash flowing and it's paying for your monthly expenses, you are at financially free status. And so then from there, uh, investing and saving actually gets to be a lot of fun. So I've, I've never bought into that. Three to six month works for most people if they lose their job, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. that's all it really is, is it gives them a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, but if you can take your three to six months of emergency fund, like let's say it's 20,000 bucks, right? And you're able to figure out a way to invest that 20,000 bucks to give you this cash flow positive return, then it really wouldn't matter if you lost your job because your bills are already paid for. I, exactly. Right? I'll give you a great example. Mesa, Arizona, I saw a, a piece of a residential real estate that had a billboard right in the middle of it. And um, it was 290 grand, okay? And luckily I had the money, but you don't have to have the money to do what I'm about ready to say. So I bought it, but I wanted the billboard. I didn't care about the land, okay? So I bought the land. I put an easement around the billboard. I went and found a billboard management company that things doing four grand a month, the billboard, both sides, two grand on each side, mm -hmm. roughly on the average. So I'm getting about four grand a month from the billboard. I resold the land for 250 grand. So now I basically have no investment and I'm making four grand a month on just that one billboard on Power Road in Mesa, Arizona. And that is the way, that's education. Mm -hmm. When you see that, I have three billboards now actually, and now I'm <laughs> converting them to digital. So I take static billboards, two sides, yeah. and put basically their flat screen TVs. And now I get four ads per side. So I increase my revenue by four, per billboard, per side. And so that's how, that's education, you know, and when you start to see things like that, you know, we bought these billboards for $200,000, $300,000, and now they're worth a million bucks, especially when you put that digital up and, you know, and you've got, uh, got it full. And so this is what I'm talking about, is you don't need a lot of money. You know, money is made in your mind, all of it. 
It's always made in your mind. It's what you see. It's what other people don't see. And it's through education, it's through reading and blogs and listening to shows like this. I'm telling you, it, it's very doable. So if you had some advice for somebody who was kind of in, in that space and they're, they're like, oh, well, you know, let me, let me turn this into cash flow positivity, um, you know, A, where do they start and where can they find information that you provide on your website or blogs or anything where they can, you know, just kind of start the journey of figuring out how to be, you know, cash flow positive and not worry about, you know, their savings or using their savings to create an investment that gives them that passive income? It's a great question. First of all, I don't think anybody should give anybody any money. <laughs> I just don't. I did think I think they should figure out how to manage it themselves. And that's that there's that's the only way. And at some point, like I, I give people money, but I, now I know what to ask them. I know what to say. I know, you know what I mean? I'm in a conversation with them about what they're doing as yeah. opposed to just trusting. Um, but we have a ton of videos at KenMacroy.com. That's K-E-N-M-C-E-L-R-O-Y.com. You know, we're on social media, Ken McElroy Official on Instagram and Facebook and all that. You know, you can go there. But, I, you know, you can go to YouTube and find a ton of stuff, just like my kids with their wallets. I swear, they went on YouTube and found <laughs> how do you make a duct tape wallet on YouTube. And there was massive amount of videos. And I did, I did several of them. It was actually kind <laughs> of fun. The stuff's out there. I, I thank YouTube a lot. It, it saves me from um, mechanical car repair bills. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, exactly. Like over the weekend, you know, I had a, I have a, I have a Chevy truck, and you know, the the lights on the front were starting to get a little cloudy or whatever, and one of the, the headlights went out, and I'm going. Well, I could take this to the mechanic, or I could spend some time on YouTube and go to AutoZone. Uh, and sure enough, it ended up being like an hour job at the house to you know repair them. And I ended up going, well, if I'm going to have to take the whole headlight assembly out, I might as well buy new ones so they're all nice and shiny. So now my truck looks brand new. And it cost me like 110 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, education's out there. Yeah. It's yeah. just you got to get off that damn phone and start learning and listening to blogs and listening to radio shows like this. I'm telling you, that's all I do now. I download stuff and I listen to it. I drive back and forth from Tucson or Phoenix or uh, Flagstaff or wherever else, and that's all I do. So, what's some of the motivation for some of the things that you 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 know you might invest in? I know you do real estate, um, and you know when you've been doing real estate and you have a you know a large portfolio that you can leverage for. Uh, future product, uh, future uh, plans that makes it easy. But where does one start? Like, what do you what do yeah, you do? It's a good question. Uh, well, the, man, do you just say, "All right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get a loan for three hundred thousand. I have no down payment, uh, <laughs> and go buy an apartment complex." No, no, it's not that easy. <laughs> but in mentorship, coaching, you know, I, I highly recommend you know go learn about stuff. You know how I learned about billboards is I I started pounding away on them and started finding out guys that were doing them, and and, uh, and then I just started looking for them because the cities didn't don't want them. You know what I mean? They're they're not allowing anymore. Scottsdale only has two left, and they're in South Scottsdale. Uh, you know, and so I just started learning. Just didn't know anything about them. You know, I didn't know a thing. But then all of a sudden, I started seeing them. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, oh, I wonder if that was for sale. I wonder why that was. A, so so um, it's just around, again surrounding yourself by around the the right people, and then and then just expanding your knowledge through these zillions of great blogs and YouTube videos, and just you know, pouring yourself into them. You know, I think the average blue collar person is probably, you know, uh, a little scared in that space, though, because, you know, you can go and, you know, listen to, uh, you know, YouTube videos, you can read a bunch of books, you can go to seminars, you can meet great people like you, like Robert, um, you know, great other gurus in, 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 in money. You know, I talked about Laura Langmire. She's called the millionaire maker, millionaire mentor, and um, she's been on the show. But I think... I think that space is kind of part of from the blue collar perspective, um, you know, maybe a little bit muddy because you have so many people who are writing books or so many people that are in that entrepreneurial space that have, you know, made money and they're trying to help other people to make money. But from the perspective of being a standard blue collar person and really wanting to make sure that you don't uh, outspend yourself, how do you know that you're making a right decision that's when a, you choose a mentor, when you choose to point. follow, yep. you know, the path of, you know, yours versus somebody else's? That 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 for me has been my biggest challenge. I work in radio. I I do these interviews. I talk to people like you all the time. And in my head, I always go, "Well, how does the average Joe person know which one of these gurus, which one of these people to pay more attention to, or which way to go and weed through, you know, some of the BS?" Because every time I go to a conference, everybody's selling some kind of system of some sort, you know. And it's, "Hey, I'll teach you how to do this for nine hundred dollars." Well. 
that $900 that that person might spend, it might give them a great education, but it doesn't really help them become financially free. It just gives the person $900. It's a really, really valid and, and great point. So here's what I like to say. And my buddy said got it. Two per- minutes. My buddy said it perfectly. He said, how much would you pay for to sit down with Warren Buffett? And as you know, he actually does that. He has a lunch. And I think the guy, the last guy paid two million bucks for an hour. Okay. And he said, so he's obviously one of the greatest investors that we know. But guess what you can do? You can buy his book for $20. Okay. So I think a lot of it has to do with who you're listening to and who your teachers are. So I just wrote this article for Jet Set Magazine. I'm a contributing editor to Jet Set Magazine. It's about that kind of mindset. If you're if you're reading, you got to go find people that are really doing what they're doing, and they're not they're, they're not selling you anything, right? They're just you know they're trying to educate, and, and guess what? It's a small percentage, as you know. Yeah. It it, is. If you you can find people out there, but I assure you, Robert Kiyosaki, I've, ta- I've talked to all of them. I'm I'm literally have met all of them. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been at this radio station for 16 years. Uh, we've been doing this radio show for uh, you know a little over four and a half years, and you know being in radio, I used to spend my whole time running radio shows on the business channel and listening to every author known to man come through and talk about these different things. And that was the one question I was like, well, how do you know who's right? Yeah, pay attention to your teachers, you know, and, and uh, you know, for me, I always just sought out mentors. I did that for my family. I, I went to a guy, I said, well, he has six kids. I said, why are they still hanging out with you? Uh, you know, you're 60. And he's <laughs> like, there's lots of reasons. And so I started meeting with him once a month, you know. He helped me raise my family, That's helped me awesome. make good decisions. They're out there. These people are out there. Ken, I really appreciate you being yeah, on the show today, man. my pleasure, man. It's been yeah, awesome. I think we had a great time here. And you guys definitely go check out uh, uh, the, the book, Return to Orchard Canyon. You can check it out on Amazon. Uh, and, of course, what was your social medias again? Uh, Ken McElroy Official and KenMcElroy.com. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned into Finding Your Frequency right here on the world-famous Voice America Talk Radio Network. I want to appreciate you all for listening. Make sure you go check out my social media, at Radio Ryan one at Jeff Spinnytune, of course, our main uh, Twitter here at Voice America, at Voice America TRN website, findingyourfrequency.net. And make sure you stay tuned here. Next week, we'll bring you some more fantastic stuff right here from Finding Your Frequency. And don't forget, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast mechanism or application or whatever you're listening to it on, make sure you give us five stars because five Five stars are better than four. We'll see you next week.